Well, we welcome you at every single location across Montana, into Oregon and Portland, Salt Lake City, Utah, Victor, Idaho, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and all across the country and world, Fresh Life Church Online. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure and a privilege to have you in here, our home. Uh, you guys can grab a seat. Thank you so much, team. We have so much going on in the life of our church. We are 25 days away from our movement conference where we are welcoming in groups of youth and youth groups from all over literally the place. I mean, I was looking at this week the list of, of states that are sending in groups, and it's just an amazing thing. We welcome the youth of the country this summer to Big Fork, Montana, and it's not too late to grab a spot for your group. Uh, if you're a parent, you got a teenager, and they got some friends, make your own group. We, of course, have official legit youth groups is coming as well, and, of course, the students and youth of Fresh Life Church. Uh, additionally, uh, they were telling me that July 22nd is the deadline to get into our fall semester of the Fresh Life Leadership College, and so you can go to freshlife.church college, and that's midnight Pacific time to get all, uh, that's so specific, that is intense, so you gotta wake, you gotta, you gotta set an alarm, Min, or, or do it to today, you don't need to procrastinate like that, uh, but that's July 22nd, so uh, we want to make sure those things are on your radar. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 128. For the next three weeks, we are going to base camp out of Psalm 128. Let me throw down a challenge to anybody in the church who can take the time to memorize Psalm 128. I believe so much in the power of hiding Scripture in your heart. Jesus constantly quoted the Bible, and specifically, he often quoted from the book of Psalms. In fact, did you know that the book of Psalms is the most commonly quoted book of the Bible in the New Testament? And it's more often than anything else what came out of his mouth. He would quote the book of Psalms even hanging on the cross. And of course, how does he do that? How do you quote a scripture if your arms are nailed down? You, of course, you can't pull out a Bible. It has to be hidden somewhere. It has to be hidden in your heart. How did Jonah, even in the belly of the whale, quote from the Bible and specifically quote from the book of Psalms? These things were hidden in his heart. You will only have in those hard, dark moments that which you ahead of time carefully laid aside. And so it is such an important, and, and perhaps in our day of, it's one Google search away, lost art of memorizing scripture. And uh, so let's, let's memorize together Psalm 128, post a video, tag us on social media. Once you nail it, have your kids doing it. And uh, by the end of our three-week series that we're calling La Familia, let's all try and have this psalm memorized. Amen. Anybody with me on that challenge? I'll take your quiet response as an indication that you are passionately with me as I challenge you to literally memorize six verses. And as I have said again and again and again, how many of you know more Drake lyrics than you know what to do with? And, uh, and half the movie Dumb and Dumber, and yet you're like, I don't know, man. That's a big old cha whole chapter of the Bible. That's really going to do me in. Tell you what. All right. Psalm 128, La Familia. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Even as we now open it and begin this new journey, this new series, we are grateful at the outset for all that you have for us in the midst of this. And I know you have been speaking to my heart so clearly, so specifically, and so gloriously that we cannot help but to speak your grace, your great grace multiplied over what we're going to see and discover in these coming days. We pray for salvation, 
pray for healing, pray for reconciliation, and I pray, God, a deep sense of calm as even the announcement of a series where we're going to talk about parenting and marriage and family just brings so much difficulty, so much anxiety for the fear, the clenched fear that that how I'm actually doing the real details of my life and now opening up God's word and to look at the ideal and to look at what you've declared it should be and could be is, is going to be for all of us on some level a disconnect. What we're living and how you've told us life should go is they're not going to line up. And I pray all of us could relax to know that you never address what we should be. You address what we are. And your word says, a smoldering coal fire you will not put out or extinguish and call pathetic. You will lovingly get on your knees and blow on those coals. And so we know today, God, in our marriages, in how we're approaching parenting and how we're approaching family, there are going to be regrets. And yet we welcome you blowing on the coals today. And then even the bruised parts of our heart, you're not just going to break those things. You're going to strengthen and splint them and fight for our future. And never shame us for our past. So thank you. We need you. We love you. And we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Title of this message as we kick off this three-week talk. And again, you're going to want to hear all three weeks because this is a sermon broke down into three weeks. And you'll want to collect them all to win the prize. The title of this message is Love and Thunder. With deepest appreciation, gratitude, and love for Stanley and Chris Hemsworth and the whole Disney empire for a wonderful sermon title that did not actually get inspired uh, by the Thor movie, but did in fact come from my favorite C.S. Lewis quote. Someone asked me that this week. That's a hard question. What's your favorite C.S. Lewis quote? I felt my like, eye twitching because I was just like rolling through the category of amazing things that man has said and written. But I think, and what I responded was my very favorite thing, and if you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, it all kicks off with the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Parents, pro tip, if you haven't read that series to your kids, get on that. And if it's been a while since you've read it, double get on that. And if you don't have kids yet, get on that. <laughs> There's a lion in the book that represents Jesus. And this lion, of course, dies for the traitor, dies for the treacherous, dies for the sinful, dies for the one who had access to everything but chose to snub, uh, to snub it all and to, to scorn it all. His name was Edmund. And, and, and Aslan, the lion, sacrificially dies, having done nothing. It's his picture of the gospel. He gives his life. He's all power. No one can take it from him, but he lays it down lovingly, willingly, and, uh, and then comes back to life. Spoiler alert, that's, that's the story. Right? So everything in our life is predicated upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here you bring your situation. Here you bring your pain. Here you bring your darkness. We are coming to the one who laid his life down and then took it up again. That's where we start with impossible things being completely on the table because of what Christ has done. Well, after his resurrection in the book... There are two girls, Lucy and Susan, and it was their brother's sin that brought into the story the death of Aslan. And after he rises from the dead, even though there is so much to do, even though there is so much to, to be done, the ramifications of his victory being fully realized and yet completely unrealized at the same time, the, the whole Narnia needs to still be saved. All the people need to be turned back from stone into, into flesh, and, and yet... Aslan takes the time to play with the girls. And I can't imagine how awesome it would be to play with a lion. 
and the lion, right? And he sheaths his claws and they're velvety and they play and they frolic and every time they jump and bounce, flowers start growing and it's just this beautiful picture of resurrection life, of life in the spirit, life of the spirit of God, the love of God shed abroad in their hearts. And afterwards, they're rolling in the grass and Lucy realizes that even though she was terribly hungry and terribly thirsty and had been up all night and was cold, she wasn't hungry anymore. She wasn't thirsty anymore. And the most amazing thing is she thought back to this hour frolicking with a lion. She said she never could decide whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten. Love and thunder. In this series, in this collection of talks, what we're going to be discussing, here's our, our stated goal for the series, how to build a family that can withstand storms. How to build a family, how to build a home specifically that can withstand storms. Studies show that in America last year, one out of 10 homes were damaged by extreme weather. One out of 10. Over 14 million homes in America damaged by extreme weather. Of course, we know some of the usual suspects like tornadoes and hurricanes and flood. But of course, unexpected cold can be just as disastrous in an area not ready for it, prepared for it, or prone to it. All of a sudden, damaged pipes. We know this has happened in Texas. I mean, goodness gracious, even, even this past week, lime-sized hail falling from the sky out of apocalyptic-looking clouds. I saw those clouds. I thought, Jesus is coming back today, y'all. That's what my family. I said, come on out here. Y'all, we got to see Jesus is coming back. That's what those clouds look like. And that's where I'm preaching in Montana, just out, out of nowhere, just, 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 just damage, just coming down, right? Act of God is, is what we, how we describe that. To the tune last year of $56.9 billion in damage. And I know we all think like, no, this is where I live. This is amazing. This is, nothing's moving this house. And then all of a sudden God's like, oh, really? Well, all the, all the rivers are going to change now, right? And, and the Bible says God sets the course of rivers. And we see how fragile our, our civilization really is. All it takes is one flood. All it takes is one event. All it takes is one hurricane. Now, of course, that's physical storms, but we also know there are other kinds of storms, other kinds of acts of God, other kinds of disasters, other situations and deals that we will, we will, we will have banked on that all of a sudden go south, relationships, and all of a sudden things go topsy-turvy. People that we love all of a sudden are stricken by disease and die. There's medical emergencies, and you can just be going along. It is smooth sailing. All it takes is one text message. You know, storms come to us all. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, the thing that determines how a home, how a family, how a life does in a storm is what that house is built upon. Right. And a house that looks amazing and everyone's jealous of it when they see the photos of it on Pinterest and on Instagram and I want my house to look like that house. Man, I'm telling you, it takes one storm to realize that sucker was built on sand. And many of the lives that we ourselves crave are not built on, have no, have, have no substance to secure for them the safety in that time. Jesus said that the foolish man builds his house on sand, it looks amazing, but then the storm takes it out, and great is its fall. But the man who listens to my teachings, Jesus said, and does them. Those are just two things in there. 
not enough to know some Bible, y'all. Not enough to go to some church. It's not enough to have John 3.16 even memorized. You can't just know God's word. Jesus said, so the man who knows the word and does my word and, and does what I tell him to do, that man will still face the storm. It will still beat on the house. The wind will still rage. The, the, the difficulties will still be hard, but it will still be standing. It will not be quickly broken. Now, many of you know that parable. It's called the parable of the builders. But did you know that many theologians suspect and believe that Jesus based that parable on the 128th Psalm? And that the promises contained in Psalm 128 are in fact what Jesus had fueling his imagination as he took that scenario and played it out in the lives of two different homes, in the lives of two different families. And so my heart's prayer and the reason I believe and suspect that while I took a few weeks to pray and prepare for the rest of this year of teaching. And baby, I got some sermons for this year. I'm telling you, I, I got some messages. I got some series planned. I got some stuff that I'm ready to, to, to dive into. But the first thing, the foremost thing ringing in my heart when I listened to Holy Spirit as he was whispering to me was to preach on marriage, to preach on family, to preach on the home, to, shameless plug, focus on the family. And I did this while I was in Mexico, and so the sermon series ended up being called La Familia. There you are. It's not it's any more complicated than that. La Familia, why? Because I believe God wants our homes built on rock and not sand. It's as simple as that. How many of you want a home, a life, a marriage, family, and a legacy built on rock, not on sand? Well, then we have come to the right place. Psalm 128, in a day of confusion, in a day of distortion, in a day where people and culture are basing things off of their feelings and not on what God has to say, we turn our attention to what inspired Jesus to write one of his best parables. And we read, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around the table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. How many of you received that blessing from God's word spoken over you? This is one of the Psalms of Ascent, so named because it would be quoted and, and sung as a part of the Israelites' road trip playlist. How many of you love a good road trip? Anybody? That was a very meager response here. Y'all, this, this, these questions can be responded to, right? You're, you're, you're a part of the sermon here, right? Anybody love a road trip? Anybody love getting in the car? Anybody love loading up and, and heading west or, or heading east and, and just seeing where the road takes you and that feeling of, uh, of asphalt under your rubber, right? 
And of course, we love to, to manage and curate the playlist and the vibes and the experience. And, and there's nothing like the windows down and the wind blowing in and the heat and the road under you and the music all around you. There's something about that for about 20 minutes. And then we're like, dang it, should have flown, right? <laughs> My kids are angry and where's the bathroom and are we there yet? Right, there's good with the bad. You got to take a good with the bad, right? And, uh, and I remember as a child just loading up in the family station wagon or minivan for the long drive from Colorado to Michigan, right? Most of those memories are bad. Uh, the, <laughs> but, but, but there's something about the songs that you sing and the music. There's cer- certain songs that just transport us, right? A little Leonard Skinner on, right? And you, think, you, you think about, um, about, about how you feel when you listen to certain, certain songs and and uh, man, Sweet Home Alabama. I mean, that is, on, is, anybody, is that on your road trip playlist? Anybody? Yeah, of course it is. We just all feel some kind of way. And did you know that Jesus sang Psalm 128 with his disciples every time they would go to one of the three pilgrim feasts? There were three feasts in the calendar that God had said, here's how the Jewish year is supposed to be laid out. There are seasons to a year, and part of that uh, for the Jews in that day meant going to Jerusalem for three of the different feasts, and their year was packed with feasts. I was telling our staff uh, at our staff summit uh, a few weeks back how it's clear how much God loves a party because there's just all these feasts. Like, here's a party, here's a party, there's a party. God clearly loves a party. And N.T. Wright once said that the, 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 the kingdom of God, which was inaugurated at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and will be officially culminated when the events of the book of Revelation are realized and Christ does return on a cloudy day, by the way. Jesus said, out of the clouds, I'll come riding. So when it is cloudy, I mean, he's not coming back on a, on a, on a cloudless day. That's all we know, right? When, when is he coming? I don't know. But there's going to be clouds involved. And, 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 and that day, there's going to be wine flowing from the hills, and the, the trees are going to clap their hands, and the mountains and rocks will split in two, and, and he'll make every wrong right, and there will be no more crying and no more disease and no more tears. How many of you are down for that day? That's the kingdom realized. Well, between it being inaugurated as resurrection and, of course, fully realized, there is us, there is me and you seeking to be the hands and feet of Jesus, seeking to have the kingdom of God within and shine it out of our eyes until it's realized from without. And that's what it means to go to work as a Christian. And that's what it means to go to school as a Christian. And that's what it means to be on summer break as a Christian student. It's to be the kingdom of God in an expression while the world is still broken as the spirit of God is still inviting others to participate in it. So we're trying to make elbow room at the table. So we're trying to to make more space at the party. And N.T. Wright said the kingdom of God can be understood as as Jesus saying, let the party continue. Let the party continue. That's why so many times Jesus chose to say the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. And so many of the times he said that, he said it's like a wedding party. It's like a wedding party. Who doesn't love a wedding party? Who doesn't love a wedding reception, right? I mean, there's, there's so enticing environments that people crash them even if they don't even know the couple. I just want to be in this environment. And so you think about grandma dancing with a ring bearer. You think about calories not counting, right? Champagne and cake. Yeah, why not, right? That's, that's, that's what the kingdom of God is like. My friend Brant Kreider likes to say God's kingdom isn't beige. It's beautiful. It's colorful. It's, it's not what you think church is like. It's not what you think religion is supposed to be like. It's meant to be vibrant. It's meant to be beautiful. Y'all, let the party continue. We like to say around here. And so we have songs that would be sung on the way to these parties, and Psalm 128 is one of them. So when we memorize this, I want you to have a vision. These are words that came out of the mouth of Jesus while walking down the road with his disciples, getting ready 
for a party. And what is the heartbeat of this psalm? And sort of here's a snapshot of the coming weeks of this series. It's counterintuitive, but what Jesus is saying is the best thing you and I can do for the world is to have a strong and healthy family. That the best thing you and I can do for our family is to have a strong and healthy marriage. And the best thing you and I can do for our marriages is to have a strong and healthy soul. This is the response we should, we should have in our heads when we see another shooting. And another thing, and of course, hot take, but, but the response and the answer that's always going to be in culture is we've got to pass another rule, we've got to pass another law, we've got to outlaw these things, right? Well, our, our response should be, wait a minute, if the world's broken, what can I do for the world? Strong and healthy family. What can I do for my family? Strong and healthy marriage. What can I do for my marriage? Strong and healthy soul. So what we feel like doing is posting. What we feel like doing is arguing. What we should be doing is praying. What we should be doing is turning to God. What we should be doing is having a healthy soul. This psalm says all of that ramifications and ripples that we read about that starts with this amazing person who fears God and walks in his ways, what does it lead to? This marriage is like a healthy vine. The marriage is like a healthy vine. Oh my gosh, now all of a sudden you've got these amazing, happy little olive plants. And then what happens? Then blessings come out of Zion on Jerusalem, a city, and that peace is upon Israel, a country, and how the country's doing can have positive ripple waves and chalk waves all across the world. So I'm brokenhearted about a shooting, but let me think about it for a second. Broken home, broken home, broken home, without a father, without a father without a father so there needs to be something strengthened in the home something strengthened in the marriage what can we do for a broken world we can strengthen our soul strengthen our marriages strengthen our families and those things are going to positively impact the world so while it seems painfully obvious when you look at it the answer of culture is always going to be wrong. John Phillips puts it this way, quote, the welfare of the state depends on the welfare of the home. The welfare of the home depends on the spiritual condition of the head of the home. An unspiritual father will often produce unsaved children, and unsaved children will build an unstable state. So in many ways, this series is an attempt to provoke the men of the church to be like Jesus, to be a man of God who sees himself as a husbandman, as someone who takes care of and cultivates the health of a vine. My friend Ben Stewart in his book, Single, Dating, Engaged, Married, I love that awesome title because it's so simple and beautiful, puts it this way, quote, so much of the pain in the hearts of little girls comes from dads who never initiated and took them on dates when they were young. So much of the heartache of young men arises from dads not, not initiating spending quality time with them. So much of the crime and societal problems in our country stems from men abandoning their wives and their children. And of course, we are going to continue to see and hear events of brokenness, even in a country like Japan where guns ownership is completely illegal. Someone's going to make a gun in a garage. Take a country like England. There's, no, there's, there's very hard access to guns. People will get in their car and drive into crowds of people. So the answer is not just another law, another legislation. And of course, there's, there's lots of opinions on all sides of that. But I think up in here, what we can agree on is you change a heart, you change the world. You change a soul, you change the world. And how do we change the world? We have to have strong homes. If, we have, if we're going to have strong homes, have strong and healthy marriages. And if we want to have strong and healthy marriages, what do we do? This text tells us, Fear God 
and walk in his ways. For that is how you have a healthy soul. So what can we do? What can we do with the despair we see in the world? We can focus on fearing God and then walking in his ways, which those are, I'm going to show you, two different ways of saying the same thing. What this really boils down to, and it sure is not the, the, the message maybe some of you came to hear, I need to have five things I can do to make my family better. I need to make my marriage better. I thought you were going to say go on a retreat or book a counseling session, but where does it start? The psalm starts with the fear of God. What does it mean to fear God? Well, it's certainly something that we read all across the pages of Scripture, Old and New Testament alike. Both Peter, who knew a thing or two, and Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, in their quest to boil down and distill all of this to just as succinct as a statement as possible, both ended up saying, look, you just got to fear God. You just got to fear God. That's what it comes down to. What does the fear of the Lord lead to? Well, Proverbs says it is the beginning of wisdom the beginning of knowledge, and able to turn you away from the snares of death and lead you into God's Zoe life, abundant life that he wants you to have. Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it, the fear of the Lord, will abide in satisfaction. Anybody want that? The world sings, I can't get no satisfaction. Solomon's like, you want some? Fear God. You want satisfaction? You want to not be visited with evil? Well, how do you get that life? How do we see the world change? How do we see our parenting dynamic change? How do we see my marriage change? We start with the fear of the Lord. So what does it mean to fear God? Well, we obviously know it's, it's, there's a bad fear and a good fear. Maybe we don't obviously know this. But did you know that when we think about actual fear, like I'm afraid of that, I have an irrational fear of snakes, or I'm afraid, afraid of the dark, or I'm afraid of confined places. Some of you are getting a little bit clammy. I'm just like listing off the things, right? Some, some of us have fears that we're afraid of. Well, did you know the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1.7. So when we talk about a spirit of fear or, or that kind of terror, obviously that's not from God. And there has been, in a bad way, fear exploited in the name of religion. So what do we mean when we talk about the fear of the Lord, or as some people have put it, a holy fear? We are distinctly placing it in a different category than the spirit of fear or the feeling of being afraid. That we can choose to not walk in because, as I've preached before, if God didn't give it, you don't got to keep it. So when you're feeling a spirit of fear, in the name of Jesus, that has no power over you. He didn't give you that spirit of fear. He gave you a sound mind. He gave you power. He gave you love. And so we can choose to walk in that confidence and not choose to walk in our insecurities, but to walk in a God security. That's a negative fear. What's a positive fear? Then? What's a holy fear? What does it mean to fear the Lord? I believe it means to understand that God is a God who we both can approach like a kitten, but also has that power. Imagine tumbling around with a thunderstorm, that to spend time with him, to know him, to walk with him is all at the same time to be in the presence of a kitten and also to experience the power the bone-rattling, humbling power that comes when you are in the presence of thunder. I'm telling you, conversations stop when thunderbolts strike. Like you stop and assess what's going on here. Am I in a situation of peril? How far away was that? I'm going to need you to finish that thought in a second. Are we okay? 
Thunder reminds you how frail you are. Oh, I know you're a big shot. I know you have so much money. I know you're the boss of such a big company. All of a sudden, thunder, pitter, 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 right? Because we all know lightning strikes the wrong spot. It doesn't, it's no respecter of persons. It will melt your feelings in your teeth. They will come and identify the remains based on the small charred, you know, spot where you were once at one point standing. Thunder, thunder. I fell before him as though dead, John said. The beloved apostle who saw the risen Lord. This flippancy, this casual, you know, kind of the man upstairs or when I get to heaven, God's got some explaining to do, right? No, he doesn't actually, and he won't. But you will fall before him as though dead, waiting to hear the words get up, right? John, who saw Jesus with, 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 with power that he couldn't even fathom, so he just tried to use as many superlatives and metaphors as he could possibly muster up, also laid on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper, love and thunder. His power, his weight, but he's, but he's also like a kitten. He also can sheath his claws and hold you in his velvety paws. You can spend time with him close enough to hear him whisper your name. And when you feel the breeze rustling across your cheek, that's him. It's that kindness, but also omnipotence. It's that majesty, but also meekness. It's that transcendence, but also weakness. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah who has prevailed. But I looked and I saw a lamb as though slain who chose to come in our human form never having sinned, but chose to die as though he were sin. What is, what is the fear of the Lord? Friends, it's the revelation that Jesus Christ, who spoke stars into orbit, I hope you got your calendar set on Tuesday for these initial images of the James Webb Telescope, which launched on Christmas Day and is currently sitting a million miles away taking photos of what CBS has called the let there be light moment. In the initial sneak peeks they've already released. But listen, whatever we see that Webb reveals on Tuesday, and I will be on the live stream, um, <laughs> it was spoken by the mouth of Jesus. Every star, every planet, every new galaxy, they're going to go, oh, that's a thing also. Just take with a grain of salt anything any expert ever says because we actually don't know how many galaxies there are. So on Tuesday, we're going to be like, oh, as it turns out, right? George Washington died because of bloodletting. So just let it sink in, like whatever expert knows. And that was not that long ago. So the fear of the Lord, what is it? I, I don't know. I think it's realizing that that all came from the mouth of God. And when you stand in front of the ocean and you hear its pounding of the waves, he controls all that, holds all that, sustains all that, yet was willing to package himself up into human form and die on a cross for you. And I think that revelation will lead to a different Christian experience than a flippant, I can always ask forgiveness later. So I rage on Tinder and I party like the world and I, I value what the world values, but every once in a while, a little, holy, a little splash of holy water and we're good, Right? I think it's different. 
I think when you stand at the foot of the cross in your mind's eye and you look up at your dripping, bleeding Savior who has all of the power and fury of lightning in his eyes, but he chose to stay there because he loves you, and so he was shamed and ridiculed like a worm, despised like no man ever should be, and suffocated until his heart gave out, bursting. Thus blood and water came out when the spear went through his ribcage. And he would say, I did that for you, Levi. I did that for you. I had your name written on the palms of my hands when the nails went in. I think what that leads to is the fear of the Lord. And if there is a fear in it, it's not fear that he'll smite us down because he's loving. It's fear that we would ever be given such a, a truckload of love and treat that lightly and then go on sinning that grace may abound because I can always ask forgiveness later. I think the fear of the Lord is, is, is the profound reverential awe that comes over a heart marked by the cost of grace and that we would be afraid of ever doing anything that would make the heart of our Savior sad, who would love us so well and so triumphantly. The fear of the Lord is what leads to walking in his ways. Blessed is the man or woman who fears God like that. The Romans 12, 1 kind of fear, in light of the mercies of God, in light of what he's done, what do we do? We offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice. I want to offer my life to you, God, today. You want to use me? You want to, you want to send me somewhere? You want, you want like people go, why Montana? Why do you live in Montana? Because that's what God told me to do. I'd be just as happy to go to Siberia. I'd be just as happy to go. If, if Jesus, who did that for me, wants something from me, the answer is yes, what's the question? You see, when we start out in that frame of mind, we lead to, our next natural question is, I'll walk in your ways. I want to do what you called me to do. You are the way, Jesus. You are the way. So what do I want to walk in? The way. Blessed is the man who fears God in his heart. So fear of God in your heart will lead to walking in his ways with your feet. So that's the big idea, and that's where we start from. And I think that's a different conversation than, than, than maybe most marriage or parenting seminars, but that's where it starts. It becomes a reasonable service to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. And what will happen, here we go, here's your, here's your list, those of you list takers. Some of you are not, you didn't go to church if you didn't get an outline. <laughs> the fear of the Lord will impact your finances. Number two, your feelings. Number three, your future. And number four, your family. And I took this outline from the Commentary on the Psalms by John Phillips, who I quoted a moment ago. I couldn't put it better than he did. He literally says that if you fear God, you will eat the labor of your hands because fearing God is going to change how you work. You're not going to cut corners. You're going to work with integrity. You're not going to jump ship the moment a better offer comes along. In feast times, be one way. In famine time, in another way. I'm telling you, we are in for a reckoning. All this right now, this glut in the last couple of years has led for a lot of people to have some intoxication with themselves and, and, and the spirit of sort of like, uh, if it's not hard, I'll just do something else. And, and it, that, that pays, that, 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 bill, that credit card bill comes due in lean times. What we do in the seven years of, of, of fat and excess determines what we have waiting for us in the seven lean years. But when we fear God, we have a different spirit about us. We have a different mentality about us. What's that going to lead to? Eating the fruit of your hands. 
You're going to approach work differently. You're going to approach life differently. That will have an impact on your finances. I'm just telling you something. You follow, Andy Stanley likes to say, following Jesus will not just make you, your life better. It will also make you better at life. And read the book of Proverbs. Watch Jesus' principles. You're going to see finances flows towards vision. Living for Jesus is a vision. It's a life with vision. The second thing he said is it will impact your feelings. The text literally says you will be happy. You will be happy. Following Jesus will lead to happiness. Uh, the word blessed can better be translated happy, happy. Like Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty, happy, happy, right? What does it mean to follow Jesus? He literally says in his word, there's going to be greater amounts of happiness. And then number three, your future. Who doesn't want to look at the future and know it's going to be better than the past? Well, following Jesus, this promise says, it shall be well with you. That's future tense. What happens when you fear God and walk in his ways? What is your future going to look like? I don't know what the economy is going to do. I don't know what's going to happen in this next election. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I can know. If you follow Jesus, it will be well with you. And whatever happens, whatever happens, whatever happens, you will be able to stay into, your, in, in, into the future. It is well, it is well with my soul. That you have the promise, Isaiah 43, that even if fire shows up, even if floods show up, what, what's going to happen? You're going to pass through floods and not drown. You're going to pass through fire and not be burned. Even the valley of the shadow of death you'll be able to pass through. Who else in the world can give you that kind of a confidence? Who else in the world can say, oh, even when you die, it is well, it is well with my soul. <laughs> Jesus wants to impact not just your past, forgiveness, not just your present peace, but also your future, a confidence that the best really is yet to come. And then, of course, your family and what we really uh, set out to, to discover here. But I love that we're starting with our own hearts before we even begin to talk about our families. But following Jesus, the love and thunder of Jesus will impact our families. And, uh, and I want you to have this revelation. Jot this down. Your family begins before you have children. Your family begins before there's kids in the home and hopefully will continue long after the kids have gone out of the home. I think we have in our, in our culture this sort of expression, we want to begin a family. Now, we've been married three years, we've been married seven years, but now we want to start a family as though the presence of the children is the beginning of a family and not the moment you stay at, stand at the altar and say, I do. You now have formed a family. You now have formed a new household. God has taken two and brought them together into one. That's a family. And it's a different way of thinking about it. Because if you think the family begins when the kid comes into the home, that child now is the center of the home. But if you fear God, the child's not the center of the home. Jesus is the center of your hearts. He's that which you orbit around. And so if the kid's in the home and that's the center, now soccer and this and that, everything's going to orbit around Johnny. Everything's going to orbit around Susie. And guess what? They are not your savior. They are not your Lord. Your child is a terrible thing to orbit around. But we are saved, whole people, fear God, want to walk in his ways. We've come together. We've begun a family. And now a child is entered into a family that's already going down the river. So that's just a, this in, in passing, something we need to throw out there. We'll talk more about that next week. Come back. I don't feel the pressure to get it all out there. I've got three weeks for this sermon. <laughs> and approximately 11% of you will hear the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, we, we know your attendance patterns. Um, the family is impacted as we follow God and fear Him. So when we fear God and, and walk in His plan for us, what can we expect to be released? As I said, 
We will continue on this conversation next week. The series is called La Familia, but let's circle back to C.S. Lewis because we began with his statement. So let's talk about how this played out, this sense of the love and thunder of God playing out in his love life. He wasn't married until he was in his 60s. And when he finally married Joy Davidson, he never thought or, or, or had even the slightest notion that he could see in his life the kind of happiness that, that God brought into his life through his wife. And you want to talk about a, a, a life with a, with a vine at the heart of your home. That's what he experienced. And then after just two years of being married, she tragically died of, of cancer, which had invaded her body. And in a book he wrote called A Grief Observed, it was one of the initial books I read uh, after Lynn, you went home to be with Jesus that gave me great comfort because this incredible massive theologian pretty much writes this honest, dark book about how it felt like God had abandoned him in his moment of need until the end when he, having given all that real feeling and raw feeling to God, uh, then found the strength and the healing and turned a corner in his outlook. But he describes in this book, one, in my opinion, one of, one of the most powerful description of of what love can and should feel like in your heart when you're walking with with the fear of the Lord in your heart walking in his ways how that impacts and translates to a strong marriage which you may not have even noticed it before but Ephesians 5 one of the principal passages on what the home should look like the workplace should look like family life should look like and your marriage should look like actually begins with the fear of God a lot of you focus in on, well, the husband's got to do this and the wife's got to do this, but it actually starts out by saying both of y'all need to submit to each other in the fear of God. Yeah. What should you look for, single people, in who you date and who you marry? What should be the questions you're asking if, while you're engaged, you're trying to really figure out what's written on the soul of this person? Number one, most important thing, does this person fear God? Does this person fear God? And does that translate to walking in all of his ways? Because like Jesus said in Matthew 7, it's not enough to just know God's word. You have to what? Do God's word. Does this person fear God? I want to end with a quote from C.S. Lewis that, that I came across this week, I was reminded of. It's actually written in the book that he wrote in the aftermath of his wife's death. It's called The Grief Observed. And if any of you are going through a grieving season, be that the grief of a relationship ending or a job being lost or a personal betrayal or, of course, death, it would be a great book for you to read. I read it in England uh, shortly after Lynn, you went home to heaven. And it was one of the most helpful things I read to make me feel okay about the anger I was experiencing in my grief. An anger that I felt, confusion that I felt, uh, where was God that I felt, all of that was normalized, knowing one of the greatest Christian thinkers that uh, the 19th century produced felt the same things. After he didn't get a wife until he was in his 60s, And then after just two years of marriage, she was taken from him cruelly. And he was trying to articulate how much she meant to him, how much she blessed him. And he didn't ever think he was going to have a wife. He'd never think he could see a, a, a vine in the heart of his home. And because she had been previously married and divorced and had two boys, he didn't know there were going to be all the plants around his table. It's amazing to think he wrote C.S. Lewis as a bachelor. He wrote Chronicles of Narnia as a bachelor. And so much was unlocked in his heart as God brought him this, this beautiful wife. He was already fearing God, the God of the kitten and the God of the thunder. But now with this relationship, and he uses some language to just, I don't know how to describe it other than this. 
it's, it's 50 shades of something, man. It's, it's hot. <laughs> Describing his marriage, he said, and I quote, we feasted on love. And if you're today in a dry marriage, I want you to believe this could be possible for you. We feasted on love. Every mode of it. Solemn and merry, romantic and realistic. Sometimes the love was as dramatic as a thunderstorm. Sometimes comfortable and unemphatic as putting on your soft slippers. No cranny of heart or body remained unsatisfied. <laughs> Clive. <laughs> That's what C.S. Lewis stands for, Clive Staples. She was my pupil and my teacher, my subject and my sovereign, my trusty comrade, friend, shipmate, fellow soldier, my mistress. But at the same time, all that any man, friend, has ever been to me. And have that taken away from him broke his heart. But by the end of the book, the grief observed, he comes to a place of realizing that she wouldn't want to come back. He was hoping to come back almost for her sake, but he realized that those who were raised from the dead in Bible, the Bible had almost a worse situation than those who did die. He said, Lazarus, the poor Lazarus had to go through death twice. What she's seeing now, he's looking forward to, and he, he slowly came around and felt like he turned a corner as he realized he was still looking forward to going to be with her. And of course, he did go to be with her, on November 22nd, 1963. Some of you, that sounds familiar. Yeah, he died one hour before President John F. Kennedy was shot in Dallas. But it was buried in the news because, of course, the end of Camelot. But what C.S. Lewis realized was my Camelot hasn't ended. My Camelot's not on this earth. My Camelot's in heaven where joy is and where my citizenship is, where my Savior is, and I'm going to be with her. I look forward to going to that place. So really, the, the picture and the vision is storing our treasure and worth in heaven and not thinking it's in Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright, the kids being perfect, this little situation that I can't control anyway. And once I've made that shift, then I can turn back to that same house that no longer is fulfilling me, that same marriage that no longer is, is, is I'm, I'm not white-knuckling it anymore, and I can actually begin to enjoy it. And happiness comes from not seeking it, but by seeking him. And as we lose our lives, lose our, our right to be right, and we begin to follow him, we begin to see things shift in our lives here on earth. And so, Father, we thank you that not only can we believe and expect for the love and the thunder in our relationship with you, but that beautiful power of the thunder striking and the, the intimacy and romance and the special little moments, putting slippers on, laughing, the companionship, the friendship in our marriages and in our relationships with our kids. And at the outset of this journey, La Familia, I do want to just ask while we're praying, is there any of you today who are like, I don't need to hear any more to say I'm in. I want what God wants for me. I want to be fresh and flourishing. I want... I want what God wants for my parenting, my marriage. I realize there's going to be some things that need to shift and change. And like I said, it's complicated. The divorce, the step-parenting, the co-parenting, the I'm a single this, I'm a, all of that. I, I don't, I'm not trying to fix any of that right here. I'm just trying to say, if you would say, I want what God wants for my family, could I just ask you to just raise up a hand? Just raise up a hand, raise up a hand for my love life, for my future spouse, for what it means to be single and honor God, a grandparent and honor God, an empty nester and honor God, regrets in how I approached it back in the day. God, I get it. Let's just say I'm in. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Thank you, Jesus. Bless these. Peace be upon them. 
as they follow you. You can put your hands down. I want to now invite those who are here and maybe it's your first time, maybe you've been coming for a long time, to explore the question of whether you're ready to make Jesus your Savior. We're not going to rush or try to emotionally manipulate you into some decision that you could be talked into, therefore you could be talked out of. But I do also want to ask the question, are you ready to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? Not the Jesus who's the angry, vindictive Santa Claus in the sky making the list and checking it twice to see if you're good enough. I'm talking about the Lion of the tribe of Judah who will rule and reign forever with a rod of iron but humbled himself to come as a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. I'm talking about the king of kings who also is as approachable as a kitten and who says, draw near to me. I love you. And if you would say, I've never made that decision to give my life to him, to give my soul over to him, to begin that journey of a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable thing to do in light of the mercies of God, And if you're here and you would say, I sense the Spirit calling my name, whispering to me, and I'm ready to make that decision. I'm going to pray a prayer giving language to what you're going through. And the Bible says if you confess this and believe it in your heart, you will be saved. On the authority of God's word, a new beginning can take place right now inside your soul. Church family, pray it with us. No one praying alone, all of us praying together. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner, I'm broken. I'm lost. I need you. Please come into my heart. Give me new life where there is sin and death. For my brokenness, give me healing. For my thirst, give me living water. For my emptiness, fill me with your spirit. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name.